Appreciate you, Brother Greg, those that serve with him and leading us in worship. So grateful that you are here this morning. Hope you have a Bible with you, something that you can open up or even turn on. And I hope that you will join me in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. When you came in, there should have been um, hopefully some bulletins. Um, that on the back of that, there'll be some notes if you want to follow along and, and take notes as we study God's Word together this morning. Um, but that is uh, someplace you can do that. It's, of course, the information inside of it. There's even an insert about some merchandise that we, uh, we are making available. So if you want to, I don't know, what's the cool lingo? If you want to rep the FBC swag, then that would be, uh, that would be the place to go with it. I don't, I don't, is that relevant? Is that, is, is that the right terminology? Is that not right? You're going to say I'm wrong no matter what I say. Okay, so anyway, so there, there's information, t-shirts, hoodies, whatever like that, merch, merch. Can I say merch? Merch, okay, all right, see, I'm, I'm hip with the hip. All right, so um, that, that is there, but on the back of the bulletin, and uh, hopefully you'll find your way there to Acts chapter 2. So grateful last week, um, uh, Brother Jimmy came and filled the pulpit last uh, Sunday, and uh, as he said, something I thought was marvelous, he said he was going to do a little bit of a quilt work, and so he looked at several different passages throughout the text talking about what it means to be the church, because we are in the middle of a whole series of messages about the core values that this church has embraced. So we embraced three core values several months ago as a church, and we said that we want to build families, we want to teach the Bible, and we want to be the church. So we spent several weeks looking at what we uh, see in Scripture as far as the mandate, the model, the example of what it looks like to build families. And then we spent another several weeks talking about what it looks like to teach the Bible from a biblical perspective. And then starting uh, several weeks ago, we started looking at what it means to be the church. And you see there in the notes or behind me on the screen, there's a tagline. We want to practice kingdom first Principles. And so we've been walking through Scripture looking at what does that look like and what does Scripture have to say or inform our lives about how it is that we practice being the church as the people of God today. So we talked about God's power through prayer a couple weeks ago whenever I was last here. And this morning I want us to look together at Acts chapter 2. If you look there in verse 42 through verse 47, to me and my personal sanctified imagination, my humble opinion, I think this might be the most succinct, comprehensive picture of what the early church in the book of Acts looked like. And I think that if we are going to be as a church here in Wellston in 2022, and we're asking ourselves the question, what model are we looking to? What example are we looking to? What, what picture are we looking to of how we should organize, conduct, behave, or pursue ministry as a church? We have the example in the book of Acts of how the church did it and how God blessed the church, how God used the church, and how the church was used in a mighty way to reach the entire known world in one generation. So that is why we're going back to the scripture to say, what is the model and the example for us to follow? 
So you can find other, well, other places in Scripture where it talks about the characteristics of the church. You can find other places in Scripture where it talks about uh, the, the, the appearance of the church or the people of the church. But here in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, I want you to see with me this morning that what we see in this text, and I know you can slice it a lot of different ways, but he's going to show us five different marks, five different characteristics that marked that church then that I think should mark us today, that I think should be true about us today. My personal conviction is that if we're going to be the church, then we've got to be the kind of people that look like the church of the Bible. So I'm going to start in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 42 down through verse 47 just for the sake of context. And then we will go back up and let me show you what I see as five marks or five devotions that marked the early church. So if you'll read along as I read aloud out of my copy of God's Word, Luke writes, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling the possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I pray that God adds understanding and application to his word this morning. If you were to go back and you were to do an English grammatical breakdown, diagramming of this passage, you're going to look for the subjects. You're going to look for the actions. You're going to look for what is the action doing. You're going to do all of this. And here, as Luke is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he gives us some characteristics. He gives us some marks, if you will, that could be descriptive of what the early church was doing and how the early church was conducting themselves. And so if you look back up there in verse 32, he gives us this first mark that is something that is prominent, that, that, that stands out in the actions and the behaviors and the conduct of the early church. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There was a de devotion to teaching. Teaching what? Well, if you think about the context here, he is saying they were devoting themselves to what? The apostles' teaching. Well, what were the apostles teaching? They were teaching the Word of God. They did not have a complete Bible in the way that we have a complete Bible in our hands today, but they could still teach parts of Old Testament Scripture. They could still teach the parables of Jesus. They could teach the life of Jesus. They could teach the commands of Jesus. They could teach the words of Jesus. What they were doing is they were getting people together, and they were teaching them how to submit and follow after God. So here in your notes, what I've done is, I didn't have a lot of space because of the, the page there, but what I've tried to do is, is you're going to see two phrases under each one of these five marks. The top phrase is, is the example that the early church gave us. The second one is going to be a negative phrase having to do with what the world is trying to do. So if you don't look at this in context, you might get a little lost, like I'm trying to promote something that is not biblical. But as you see there in your notes, what they were doing is, is they were teaching the Word of God, as in verse 42. Why were they teaching the Word of God? Because belief forms practice. 
Let's put it another way. You do what you believe and you believe what you do. They understand that their whole goal is teaching people who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what Jesus expects of them. And they are teaching them in such a a sweet time, such a formative time, is that they grow up believing the right things, knowing the right things, and thereby doing the right things. You see, we're in a world today that says, you define what is true. You define truth. The problem with that idea of you defining truth is that you're not God. And no one has to define truth because truth has already been defined. God has already told us in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God has already told us that he created man and woman and he created them in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female, he created them. God has already said that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. God has already told us what to do. God has already given us truth. He has explained why the stars are where they're at. He has explained why you have the feelings that you have. He explains why you have the problems and the trials and the struggles that you have. He explains why you fight the sin nature and why you are constantly being pulled away by the things of the Spirit, by the things of this world. He has told us all of this. And so what the apostles were doing is they were coming in and they wanted to teach them what it means to be believers in Jesus Christ. He's teaching them. Not five steps to be happy. Not, not three positive things to have a, better, to have a better Monday. He's not coming in doing platitudes. He's not coming in and doing emotional or, 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 or uplifting motivational speeches. He is coming in and he is saying, thus says the word of God. That is why my desire, every single Sunday that I get a chance to step up on this platform before you, I want to get straight to the text. I don't want to spend 10 or 15 minutes telling you a cool story and your Bible's being closed. My desire is to say that there is nothing that we do in here that is more important than us opening God's Word and reading God's Word together. So what marked them was the devotion to the teaching. What were they teaching? They were teaching the Word of God. And so there was a, a definite mark about their devotion to being taught the Word of God. Why was that so important? Because they understood that when they were taught the Word of God, then they could teach the Word of God. Now, I'm not saying it has to be something in a corporate setting like this. You can sit there with your Bible on a Monday morning, and you can sit there in the quietness of your own home, and the Spirit can teach you the Word of God. So it's not one of those things that it has to be in here, it has to be in some type of a a static class, or it has to be something in, in a traditional sense. But are you being taught the Word of God? How many Christians do we have that say, well, I can't talk to anybody about Jesus because I don't know what to say? It says what to say. Everything that we need to live a life of faith and godliness before our Creator is written in black and white and words that you can read and words that you can comprehend and words that you can apply to your life. They had a mark. They were devoted to the teaching of God's word. Why? Because they understood that when they were taught the word of God, then they could teach the word of God to someone else. 
And yet we live in a day and age, brothers and sisters, that you and I start to think that that is all relative. That I get to define what I believe. I get to define what is right and wrong. I get to define what is true for me. What is something that I should listen to and something I should not listen to. And they had a devotion to the teaching of God's word. But it was not just the one mark of their devotion to teaching. And it also says in verse 42, and the fellowship. Now, that word fellowship, if you were to go back, it's, a, it's the Greek word koinonia. It's the idea that there is a relationship, there is a camaraderie, there is an intimate, intimate setting between all the people in the church. Sometimes we like to think about, oh, I love fellowship, oh, I love fellowship, and sometimes we equate that with just coming in and eating. That's not fellowship. Now, what we do while we're sitting there eating, that can be fellowship. But the idea of fellowship is you and I sitting down, and you knowing me and I knowing you, and then we talk about how we're doing, how we're doing spiritually, how we're struggling spiritually, how someone could encourage us spiritually, how we're doing in the workplace, how we're doing in our marriages, and we get to the point that we tell people, this is who I am, and they are telling us this is who they are. Unfortunately, this world today, right now, everybody's at arm's length. You will pay someone a total, you will pay a total stranger big money to tell them all of your dirty laundry. And yet you will not share with the brother and sister in Christ for free. And this idea of fellowship comes in is that they were devoted. They were devoted not just to the teaching, but to the fellowship. It even gives us as the second mark, showing us just how important it was. Why? Because the early church, as you and I today, understand that we were created for relationships. We were created for relationships. We weren't created just to come in and to sit down and to stand up and to sit down and to stand up and say amen and walk out. We were created as the body of believers. Think what it says in Romans chapter 12. Let me turn there and let me read into your hearing what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. He reminds us that every single person in this room, you may be a member of this church, you may not be a member of this church, but every single person that is a believer in Jesus Christ, I believe we are part of the body. We are part of the body. Every single one, every single set of eyeballs that is looking at me or not looking at me, every single one of us, we are part of the body and we are built for relationship. And yet we're in a day and age that we're like, no, 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 no. I can't let them get too close. I can't let them see what I got going on in my life. I can't let them know what the struggles I'm having in my life. Can I tell you a secret? None of us are as good as we think we are. None of us have it all together. None of us know as much as we think we know. And none of us None of us can do this by ourselves. This week has been a difficult week in my family. And you start looking around and going, you know what? We are never to the point that we cannot be helped by brothers and sisters in Christ. And brothers and sisters, sometimes we forget what the fellowship is meant to do. The fellowship is meant to remind us that we are all in this together, that we are all serving the same Savior and that we need each other in this life. But what is the lie that the world tries to tell us? What is the lie that they try to bring before us? They try to say that connectivity equals fellowship. 
Connectivity equals fellowship. What do you mean by that, Spence? Well, they think as long as you got a phone and it's connected to the internet and you have social media, that means you are connected. And so now you have people that are sitting in two different rooms in the same house that are texting each other instead of getting up and going and talking to them and saying, how are you? No, now they're texting each other. Or now you even have it where you have, I've, I've seen it, I've seen it. You have students that are sitting on a school bus that are texting each other on the school bus. Because they will not say the words out loud. And we think, well, that, what's the big deal with that? I am telling you, we are crippling our ability to communicate. Because now we can't communicate in full sentences. Now we can't communicate in full words. Now everything is a LOL. If you ever see me type in LOL in a text, I've been possessed. <laughs> Some of you like it. I get it. Bless your hearts. But it's one of those things. It's just one of those things that we think that because we are connected, as the world says, then that equals fellowship. And I am here to tell you this morning, that is not the kind of fellowship they were enjoying. They weren't doing it on social media. They weren't doing it from screens. They weren't doing it from a distance. They weren't doing it. They were doing it in person. They were doing it with each other. And they were doing it where they were coming together, sharing the burdens, sharing the victories, sharing the challenge, sharing the tears, sharing the joy, sharing life together. And it's something that we should come in and we should be in the position where we know. I know what they're going through. I know what they're going through. I know what they're going through, not because I'm nosy and because I gossip, but because I love them and they love me, and this is how we do life together. So there's a mark. There's a mark that they're devoted to teaching. There was a mark that they're devoted to the fellowship. But then there's also another mark, and this is where it gets a little bit sticky. If some of you start getting a little queasy, like, where is he going to go with this? Just listen as the text lays it out. Verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now some people look at this verse and say, yep, here you go. Socialism, communism, that's what you're going to advocate. No, what I want you to see with me is not the fact that we need to all go home right now and sell everything we have and come in and just give it to Spence and then Spence will decide what to do with it. No, 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 no. No, I, I, that's not what we're saying here. What I do want you to see is that they had a devotion to each other. They had a devotion to each other. They were, they were so devoted to one another in the body of Christ that they were willing to say, I will sell if you have a need. I have a surplus or I have an abundance and I want to give to you because you have a need. Why would they do this? Because they understood that we are one body in Christ. You may write down there in your notes, 1 Corinthians Chapter 12, verses 12 through 31, there is an extended passage that Paul talks about this idea of being a part of the body of Christ. And he is saying that as a part of the body of Christ, one person may be an eyeball, one person may be a nose, one person may be a foot, one person may be the spleen, one person may be the tailbone, whoever it is, but we all need one another. And when one person hurts, all of us hurts. When one person suffers, all of us suffers. And the same is true when you have one person that is distant, that is cold, that is backslidden. It affects all of us. So what were they doing here in the text? What it says is that they were all together. 
says that in verse 44, they were all together, but not just that they were together, they had all things in common. They understood that the foot is level at the foot, or the, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, and they understood that we are all coming together, and we are all coming together, and it's not a matter of who is and who isn't. We are all coming together because we are all saved by grace, and we want to make sure that the other brothers and sisters around us have what they need to serve faithfully in Christ. And yet we're in a day and age, to, in the life that we're in, where everybody is going around comparing, comparing. I've got an iPhone. I don't have the newest iPhone. You have the newest iPhone. I want your iPhone. Or I want my iPhone just like yours. You got a nicer jacket than I do. You got nicer clothes than I do. You drive a nicer car than I do. You have a nicer house than I do. And next thing you know, we start comparing ourselves back and forth. Right here in verse 44 and verse 45, they said, you know, this isn't a matter of comparison, the have-nots and the haves. It's not a matter of looking and saying, well, they have more, they have less. We're just going to come in here and say that we are all believers in Jesus Christ, and we're devoted to each other, and we want to make sure that we are doing such a thing that everybody is equally blessed. I heard a preacher one time say that a rising tide raises all ships. And yet, sometimes we get stuck in the comparison game. And I want to remind you this morning that comparison is corrosive. Comparison is corrosive. You start to look around and say, well, why can't I have what he has? And why can't I have what her, what she has? And why can't I have what they have? And why can't I have what my neighbor has? And why can't I have what this person has? And, and why do they get this and I don't get that? And, and why, why do they have these issues and I don't have these issues? Or, or back and forth and back and forth. And the next thing you know, we take our eyes off of Christ because all we're doing is looking at ourselves. And we start to erode at our happiness. It erodes at our joy. And this comparison is, is, is just nothing but competition. That robs our joy. And yet here in this text, yes, they were selling everything. They were bringing it together. They were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. But it was this idea that they said, it's not a matter of what you have and what I don't have. It's not a matter that I am better than you. It's a matter that we are all in this together and we are devoted to one another. When Jalen and I first started getting back in church, the preacher at the church Showed up, and his wife came pulling in. She was driving a Mustang. Now, I was brought up in a very traditional, straight-laced Baptist church. And the idea was, God, if you'll keep him humble, we'll keep him poor. And that was the mantra that went together in the Baptist church. So I am sitting there at the door, and I'm watching the preacher's wife pull up in a Mustang, and I'm thinking, hmm, must be pretty nice as a preacher having, a, having your wife drive around in a Mustang. That must, be pretty, that must be pretty handy. And I mouthed off to him. And he pulled me aside. And he reminded me that his wife was a registered nurse. And that she made that amount of money. And that she could drive whatever car that she wanted to drive because they were being faithful to the Lord. And it wasn't none of my business. What his wife, a professional woman, drove, stick your nose in your own business, and that at the heart of it, I was comparing. 
well, they've got this and I don't have that. Or they've got this and they should not have that. Or I start looking around and going, hey, why do they have that blessing and I don't have that blessing? Or they shouldn't have that. And all this was was comparison back and forth. And I want you to know that so many times you and I are driving down the road and we're looking and going, I like that truck. I like that house. I like this possession. I like that personality. I like their success. All these things. And all we're doing is comparing ourselves to one another. And you know what? You can always find someone that has something more than you. That wasn't their heart here in the boat. This, that wasn't their heart here in the passage. All who believed were together and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. They didn't care. They didn't care what kind of clothes you had. They didn't care what you drove in the parking lot. They just wanted to be together as believers. Sometimes people walk in the church because they want to show people how much they have. Sometimes people don't walk in the church because they are too ashamed of what they don't have. And sometimes people that come into the church that don't have as much as someone in the church then leaves the church because they felt like they were looked down upon or they were thought less of because they didn't have what someone else had. And the reality is, every single person needs Jesus. So they give us the example of being devoted to teaching, devoted to the fellowship, devoted to each other. But then you look down there at verse 46, and the last part of verse 46, we get another mark, a mark of their devotion. It said they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Generosity. They were devoted to generosity. Can you just imagine the scene? Can you just picture the scene? So you have all of these new believers. We have no idea about their social status or their economic status. We have no idea what's going on. But as they come to faith in Jesus Christ and they get saved and they come in and they say, you know, we'll, we'll just sell everything and we'll all pool our money together. That way we'll all have the same benefit. We'll all have the same blessings. We'll all have the same opportunities. And it says they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. They are happy about it. They we're excited about it. You mean I get to go home, sell everything that I've worked for. That way I can come in and we can just all live in a communal type setting. They were happy about serving God. And they were happy about giving to other people. It's a matter of generosity. And I know sometimes you'll come in and you'll say, well, you know what, I've got to give to this work or I've got to give to this ministry or I've got to give here. But how many times do you and I come in and go, woohoo, I'm so excited. I get to give money to the work of the Lord today. I can already see how excited you are. I, I got you. I can tell. I mean, but how many times do we get excited about it? I get to be generous. I get to be generous. Why is that should be such a big deal? It's because we do not own anything. The clothes that you have on the back, the vehicles you drove in here on, the bed you woke up in, the roof that may be or maybe not over your head, you own nothing. Everything you are a steward of. Everything. Everything you're a steward of. God owns it all. And so they are like, you know what? We get to leverage what God has given us. To minister to God's people. Now I get it. The generosity thing could be taken advantage of. Well, that person is just trying to swindle me. 
that person is just trying to cheat me. Oh, I understand, and I get that, and I get that. But you know what? You and I can still be generous to the things of the Lord. It says there at the last part of verse 46, glad and generous hearts. They had an excitement saying, guess what? I get to give for the work of the Lord. I get to be excited about giving to God. And yet we are in a day and age that everybody thinks, well, what is the minimum? What is the least amount I can do? How is the bare minimum that I can get engaged in to be recognized or to be found? It's one of those things that we say, what is the minimum standard that I've got to hold to? And then otherwise, I'm just going to be out. It's the idea that we do not get happy about being generous with what God has given us. I'm going to tell you, ministry costs money. And I wish that we could do it off a of goldfish and Kool-Aid, but ministry costs money. <clears throat> and inevitably, you're going to have a whole group of people that are going to come in and they're going to say, you know what, we need to do everything as frugal as possible. And while I agree that we need to be good stewards of the resources that God has given us, we also need to understand that things cost money. And where does that money come from? That money comes from the money that God has entrusted to the people in this church. And yet, how many times do we get excited about giving back to God what is his? Micah is a year and a half old, and he's in that stage. He'll be sitting there in the high chair. And Mama will put some cereal in the high chair in the mornings, and he'll be sitting there, and he's got his sippy cup of milk, and he's got this Captain Crunch cereal in front of him, and he's just, it's good to be Micah. Ain't got a whole lot of cares in the world. Somebody wipes his rear, somebody feeds him, he just... He's got, a, he's got it going good right now. I envy the young man sometimes. And he's sitting there, and you walk into the kitchen, and, and, and I always, I, sometimes I tease. Sometimes I tease. And so I'll, I'll walk in there, and he'll be sitting there in the high chair, and I'll walk up to him and I'll say, can I have a piece of cereal? No. He's learned the word no. 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 Ma, please have a piece of cereal. No. And then you act like you're going to go take it. And he's like, no, it's mine. He's got five or six pieces sitting right there. And he gets, he's getting stingy. It's, it's his cereal. Now, and you know where I'm going with this. If I really wanted some cereal, I'd go in the cabin and I'd get the whole bag of cereal. Oh, I got tons of cereal. And you know what, buddy? If you give me four of your five pieces of cereal, I can go in the cabinet. I can get you 20 more pieces of cereal. It's not a matter of us running out of cereal. Dad, Dad's got that department covered. We, we, we're, we've taken care of that. But you know, there's a certain lesson where he has to come to the point that he understands that, you know what? I only see five pieces of cereal. My father is asking for a piece. I can trust my father that when I give him a piece back, I'll still have enough. Am I tracking with me? There's a spiritual lesson in that. God gives us five resources, and then God asks for us to give one of them back, and we say, God, I ain't got the time. I ain't got the money. I've already over-leveraged myself. I've already over-committed myself. God, I don't have any. We start saying, well, I don't have any, so God, I can't give you none, and we forget that God has given it all to us beginning, and maybe we should just recognize that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and maybe we ought to say, you know what, God, you can have whatever you want because you can give me as much as you want to give me in replacement. But they didn't do that. They didn't do that. What'd they do? They had glad and generous hearts. So what is the lie that comes from this world? The lie that comes from this world is that I come first. 
<clears throat> that I come first. So when it comes to the generosity of a person, when it comes to the generosity, and I'm not just talking about financial, I'm talking about with your time, with your resources, with your talents, with your abilities. Normally it comes down to I come first. I'm going to take care of me, and then anything left over I may consider letting you have. And really the greatest obstacle that comes to the condition of generosity or the act of generosity is the condition of the heart. And yet here in the text, glad and generous hearts. They were so excited about being able to fund kingdom work. They were so excited about people being ministered to. They were so excited. They, they got to give back to God. So you have the teaching. You have the fellowship. You have the devotion to each other. You have the generosity. But then notice this last one, and we're done. Verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. There was a devotion to worship. There was a devotion to worship. They were devoted to the teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to each other. They were devoted to generosity. And they also were devoted to worship. And that's why it says there in verse 47, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. Now, does it tell us that there was a timeline or it tell us a day? No. Notice if you look, go back up there in verse 46, it says, and day by day attending the temple. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. God. They were praising God. Now, what is the lesson that we get from the early church? The lesson that we get is that we worship what we follow, and we follow what we worship. You want to see the condition and the priorities of your heart? You go back and you look at your week's schedule. You go back and look and you look at your checkbook. You go back and look at who's you call when you have a problem. You go back and how you respond when you enter into times of trials. We will worship what we follow, and we follow what we worship. So what were they doing? They were praising God. They were praising God because they understood that what they had came from God and who they are is found in God. They were, had this idea that we are going to praise God continually. Now, the world around us today wants to say that worship is a time. It's a timeline. Part of our Sunday morning service is that we have a time of worship. Well, then what's the rest of it? No, it's all worship. See, your life is one continual act of worship. Well, I'm not singing all the time. Well, no, you sing. You worship by doing other things. You worship by what you think about. You worship by how you act. You worship by how you respond. You worship by what you do. I am supposed to, I am supposed to worship continually all day long. It says in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. My life should be one long lifestyle of worshiping God. Well, that seems like a little boring. Well, we are worshiping continually. It's just a matter of what we're worshiping. You may have known some people yesterday that they're worshiping 22 men walking around in leotards chasing a little bitty ball. Thousands and thousands of people chanting, hollering, thousands and thousands of dollars being spent on watching 22 people push each other around. You think about the amount of money. You think about the amount of time. You think about the amount of worship that was given yesterday. And yet, they were devoted to worship. They were devoted to praising 
God. Because they understood that they follow what they worship and they worship what they follow. And they understood that worship was a lifestyle. It just wasn't a time of the day. It's this idea that you and I understand as we sang earlier, for endless days we will sing your praise. Endless days. The idea that every single day should be a day of worship to God. So this early church is sitting there, verse 42 down through verse 47, and they are sitting there and they are going, this is how we behave. This is how we act. This is how we live. And this is who we are. So I wonder for us as a church, the question then is, what marks us? Someone was to come in and they would take a snapshot. We would have a a secret shopper event, if you will. And somebody comes in and they try to record, okay, FBC Wellston, this is what they were doing. This is why they were doing it. And this is what we witnessed them doing. What would they write? What marks would mark us? So as I bring this to an end, let me just give you a couple of names. I'm going to say out a name and I just want you to think, what is the first What is the first connection that you come up with? Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey. Everybody gets a car. Michael Jordan. Joe Biden. Billy Graham. Richard Baxter. Billy Sunday, R.G. Lee. See, as I said some of these names, some of these names you may have known and some of these names you didn't know. But everybody is associated with something. So as you say a name, you will think, okay, I know this person because of... Or maybe if we made it a little bit more personal. I said, what is the first name that you associate when I say a name like Brandon Troop? Or Chad Payton? Or Alan Lee. Or R.W. Goggin. Or Spence McConnell. Do we mark them with godliness? Or are they marked with worldliness? So the question is, is what marks us? It has to be individual before it can be corporate. So then the question then takes down another level to you and I personally. Are you devoted to the teaching of God's word? Are you devoted to the fellowship with God's people? Are you devoted to the brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you devoted to being generous with what God has blessed you with? Are you devoted to worship God? Are you living a life that is faithful to God? You bow your heads with me.